and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, today we're going to talk about uh, aid, and this is a subject that's come up a couple times over the past you know, few years in our, in our podcast, but not one that is, is been a regular theme of it. And today we're going to talk about a, a more humble attitude that China appears to be taking when it comes to aid. Uh, humility and Chinese foreign policy have not always gone together very well, but we saw this with Li Keqiang, the premier who just concluded his recent visit to Africa, where he said there have been some growing pains. And now we're hearing from the central bank governor, the People's Bank of China governor, uh, Zhou Xiaochuan, who said that, uh, quote, different entities have behaved differently. There may have been some phenomena of Chinese investors that were, quote, not so good, not so satisfactory. So again, Kobus, more humility coming out of Beijing. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the context that he made that quote and why it's important. Um, this week saw the announcement of a, of a new uh, Chinese fund for African development, um, which the interesting part of it is, is it's a $2 billion fund, um, but, but the notable part of it is that it's going to be dispersed through the African Development Bank. So this is the first time that the Chinese government um, has given money not in a bilateral government-to-government way, but through a multilateral organization. Um, also, another big, big news point is that... Um, the, the bidding for the, for the projects that's happening that's going to be financed from this fund is going to be competitive, which means it's not locked into necessarily going to Chinese companies, but it's going to the best bidder from a bunch of different countries. So that is a major change. Um, and, you know, I think what what we're seeing to that, together with, with the comments from from um, the governor, the, is that it seems like China is recalibrating its relationship with Africa a little bit. It does seem that way. And it was interesting to kind of observe the media coverage of this because it brought up a lot of, to me, a lot of the ignorance that journalists have, not only about the Chinese in Africa, but also about the aid business as a whole. Uh, Now, if anyone who's familiar with the aid business, uh, I come from a point of view that it is, uh, it's an industry, it's a business, it's not necessarily designed to help people. Typically, I believe that aid is an extension of domestic politics of the donating country, uh, rather than something intentionally used to, to help people. And so what was interesting was that a lot of people brought up the fact that China has been criticized for applying its aid, shock, horror, shock, horror, to support its own domestic industries. So for example, it would sign a contract with a, country, uh, with a country to build a road. Lo and behold, Chinese contractors would come in and build that road. The aid goes back to China, and therefore uh, they felt that that aid was not being used uh, to its maximum effect. Now, so this is what the new African Development Bank uh, $2 billion program, Africa Together, I think is the name of it, will be used. Now, if you've ever seen uh, American aid or European aid or Japanese aid, uh, you will know that they do exactly the same thing. Uh, here, for example, in Vietnam, uh, Japan is building the subway. Uh, but yet, it's only Japanese equipment that's being used to build the subway. It's Japanese contractors that are being used to, use, to build the subway. And yes, it's Japanese engineers that are being used to build the subway. So the Chinese are by all means not alone. So in some ways, what I think, and I'd like to get your take on this, Kobus, uh, this 
$2 billion initiative was not only designed to kind of get them some better PR in Africa, but I also think it was a shot across the bow about the multilateral aid business as a whole because the United States, uh, in fact, there's a bill making its way through Congress right now, if I'm correct, that is actually going to tie American aid even closer to American industry, making it more difficult to have these kind of multilateral type of, uh, of aid programs. And so in some ways, I think this is an aggressive move on the part of the Chinese to establish themselves as breaking the mold of the aid business as well. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, I can well imagine that in the case of, the, of America – um, tying the aid in that way to job growth with you know, domestic job growth is pretty much the only way to try and sell it, you know, because because you know America's tradition is so hostile to to aid, or many many American politicians are. Um, I, I tend to agree that that this is a challenge to the way that aid is usually handled. Um, I think also the you know because China seems to be. It's a kind of interesting kind of uh, vote of confidence in the African Development Bank, and it seems to be, um, you know, a, an attempt to to try and position the African Development Bank as as more of a kind of a heavyweight institution, um, you know, and one that that could, you know, kind of help to to uh, run African development, you know, kind of more centrally in the future. At the same time, I mean, this is only one part of all of the different kinds of financing that's flowing out of China. I mean, China, as we've mentioned in the past, you know, China is a major aid donor as such in the Western sense. Its financing tends to work in different kind of ways. And Li Keqiang, during his, his visit to Africa, also announced more other kinds of financing for Africa. So there's a whole bunch of Chinese financing streams going, of which this is this is a, a new and notable one. Well, let's get to what you're, just to follow up on what you were saying about Li Keqiang. He announced an increase in African credit lines by $10 billion to a total of $30 billion for the 2013 to 2015 budget cycle. And he added an additional $2 billion for infrastructure. And I think what's so interesting about this is that you know, as the Western donor countries, uh, particularly the EU and, and the United States, uh, are, are withdrawing their aid and shrinking their aid budgets uh, as their economies are still encountering a number of difficulties, uh, the Chinese are, are, are just pouring more money and more capital and making it more available. Now, the X factor in all of this is Japan. And this is, of course, your specialty. It seems like Japan wants to not be outdone by the Chinese in Africa. And, and so they might, uh, they might get into, the, into these big numbers, these multi-billion dollar uh, aid programs. But to your point earlier that the Chinese do not uh, tally or account for aid in the same way that we do in the West. So, you know, and this goes back to the controversy over aid data, that organization of the United States that you and I both think is kind of bogus. But... Uh, how they tabulate. They said something like $70 billion of aid have gone from China to Africa. Uh, nonetheless, what the number is, is almost irrelevant. It's huge numbers. These credit lines are critically important in order for African governments and African businesses to be able to do things. And now that they're being detached from the domestic politics at home, it might actually be uh, that much more useful and, and, and practical for Africans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it. This is such an interesting development. You know, one thing in terms of the West, what what it seems to me is that in a way, the West is increasingly kind of constricted by some of its own, um, some of its own rhetoric in relation to aid, and and also some of the way that it thinks about aid. Um, you know, the way that that aid is so frequently linked to governance issues. Um, 
you know, it's, it's obviously such a cliche that, that that China doesn't doesn't concern itself with with domestic politics in Africa, um, and that the U.S. does. You know, and and I mean, John Kerry's visit recently also reconfirmed that 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 the U.S. does want to have a say or at least some kind of advisory position about like how the election should be run in a particular African country. Um, and you know, the fact that the that the West keeps you know, kind of positioning itself in that way um, and in a way is so kind of cloaked in this form of self-regard, you know, kind of where they represent something like democracy that has already been achieved and that they must now export. That, in a way, makes it harder for them to respond to opportunities that open up within Africa, you know. Um, and and the, the fact that the Chinese um, seem to be a bit more nimble on the ground also makes it easier for them to actually make money out of African development. I don't know if you agree. Am I being a bit too no. over-optimistic over about Chinese aid? I, 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 there's a little bit of of, of potential over-optimism on Chinese aid and the effectiveness of this money. I am skeptical as a whole of the utility of these types of programs. I think they have a lot – they're much more practical on a political and PR sense than they are actually on the ground. Um, I tend to agree with the Chinese kind of body politic that says uh, aid is not the best way of actually helping people grow. Uh, jobs are the best way. You know, trade is the best way. And but yet in the US and in Brussels and Washington and Brussels, there are very, very powerful lobbies that sit around these, you know, we call them the beltway bandits in Washington, uh, in the aid business. And they have, you know, very, very deeply entrenched interests in keeping the aid going, and not necessarily focusing on things that actually work. So um, I know I'm going to get, you know, emails and, and nasty tweets from our friends in the aid business about this. But um, it to me, it you know, again, sitting here in Asia, these are not necessarily the, the, the success of Asian countries has not been based on aid. Um, and the success of the past 10 years in Africa, in my opinion, has been based on trade and, and economic growth that is fueled by more economic activity and not aid. Let's switch gears here a little bit and talk about Zhou Xiaochun's, who, and he's again the, the governor of the People's Bank of China. He signed this $2 billion aid deal with the African Development Bank. And, and this quote went after he signed it. Let me just read it again for you, Kobus, and I want you to kind of dissect it for us. Uh, different entities have behaved differently. There may have been some phenomena of Chinese investors that were not so good, not so satisfactory. And what I found so interesting about that quote was in so much of the, of the press coverage of the $2 billion aid deal, that is the quote that dominated the headlines. It certainly did on the FT and in the New York Times. And so tell us what you think he was trying to do and what he meant in that quote. He seemed to me to, to, um, to connect to Li Keqiang's um, you know, kind of growing pains comment as well. It, it seems that there's been a, a, a choice made somewhere very high up um, in the Chinese government that now it's okay to acknowledge failure in, in, in China-Africa relations. Um, failure may be a strong word. Failure may be a strong word. Failure is maybe too strong. But, but acknowledge like, but some, maybe un, some unintended consequences. Some, yeah, some, some, um, that's right. Yeah, you know, kind of so that it, it's possible to 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 actually step off the the the, the kind of very hard um, win win you know kind of mutual development kind of rhetorical track you know kind of to say that look some to the mistakes have been made kind of you know um, and um, and which is which is a I think is a major kind of shift you know because because um, the Chinese government is usually so tight lipped about these issues. Um, you don't hear many also, governments. Yeah, say, you don't mm, hear many governments yeah. of any flavor say that they've made mistakes. 
I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I don't hear that come out of Washington too often, and certainly the the Europeans mm. don't do it that much. When was the last time you heard the French say something like this? <laughs> I mean, it just it doesn't. That, so I think it's interesting, but I, I agree with you. There's been a strategic shift here. Uh, let me get you know he parsed his words very carefully, and and Chinese politicians at this level never speak extemporaneously. They never speak off the cuff. This was mm. a very well crafted, well thought out statement that was kind of put out. But he says there may have been, so it was conditional, may have been some phenomena of Chinese investors. And I think this was very important because I go back to the column mine in in Zambia. And you pointed this out that when I asked you about this a while ago, you actually said, you know, the Chinese embassy is probably relieved to have the column mine closed after the Zambian government moved to close it because it was causing a headache for the Chinese embassy. This was not a state-owned enterprise. This was a very poorly run mine. Uh, It was tarnishing the entire reputation of the Chinese in Zambia, much less now every story about bad CSR of the Chinese in Africa happened to have happens to have the column mine as an example of it. And so in some ways, for them to be able to say some Chinese investors were not so good, not so satisfactory, uh, you know, he was very specific on how he chose those words. Yeah. By the way, was he speaking in Chinese or in English? They never speak in English. Never. Uh They Mm -hmm. never, never, never speak. Even you will have, I mean, very rarely, you uh, you know, a couple of the diplomats and some of the ambassadors will speak to local press in English, but almost never at this at this level do they ever. Yes. Uh, do they, and and that's the same, by the way, the United States. Only very few approved spokespeople can speak, for example, in Arabic or not in English. Uh, so this mm. is all done in Chinese. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I mean, you know, I, it's it's yeah, it's I mean, it's 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 just it's remarkable actually, you know, um, because ex- exactly for that reason, because because the 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 discourse is usually so tightly controlled, and this is obviously a, a, a different kind of tightly control of of tight control, you know, kind of it's a different it's a different the the rhetoric has has shifted that little bit, um, and but but I think what it also shows is that China is responsive to criticism, you know. Um, like China, like if 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 criticism start of of China, external criticism of China starts reaching a certain volume, um, then they respond. Um, you I, know, I it might take careful, them a while. I would be careful with that. Um, that is, they they respond. I think the outside perception I mean, of China. I'm not. I'm not necessarily saying that they change their behavior, but I mean that they that they they it might be factored into their messaging. There That's we go. I, and I think, and, and you're seeing this in China as well. And this is more reflective of domestic considerations than anything else. Is that, you know, you have a very very entrenched, powerful, large middle and upper middle class in China now that is engaged on social media. And I think it's an outside misperception that, you know, that China is this monolithic kind of Stalinist, you know, where everybody is kind of oppressed and suppressed and there's no there's no freedom of speech and it's terrible. Yes, freedom of speech is absolutely limited. But there is an enormous amount of back and forth between the people and the government. And the government has proven to be very, very adept at modifying its message and adapting itself to the realities on the ground. And I think what they're doing now is taking some of the skills that they've learned domestically and now applying that internationally. And that's some of the first times we've ever seen that. So to your point there that I think they are listening, that's a very important kind of distinction. And in the past, they may not have been listening or they didn't know how to respond. And they feel confident enough now to admit some insecurities slight as they may be. I mean, these are very, very slight insecurities, but I think that type of humble message will actually play very, very well with an audience across Africa. I would, I would assume that the PR on this is going to be well-received. I also think so, because it also positions Africans as someone 
as people who can be listened to, which again, you know, as you as you mentioned, you know, nowhere in this relation in Africa's relation with France or with the US is there any space where you know, kind of any kind of criticism, you know, kind of would be acknowledged. You know, kind of it it just bounces off that that kind of like bulletproof citadel. You know, um, so yeah, you know, kind of I, I think I think this is very interesting. It it does kind of create this kind of idea that that the two are in dialogue, that there is some kind of back and forth, that there is a responsive partnership, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, kind of so it it seems like it, it it will play well here. I think one of the things that I hope for out of this what uh, seems to be an apparent policy shift in the way that the senior Chinese leadership is communicating in Africa, whether it's growing pains or not so good, not so satisfactory, these are the quotes that will be attached to these people for for quite some time, is that it actually filters down to the embassy level. And so that we actually have at the national level a dialogue with the various uh, political leaders from China. You know, one of the problems I think the Chinese have, and they're so boneheaded when it comes to PR and their ability to communicate is they hew to this very, very kind of strict party line and this very strict messaging that they have. And there's very little kind of impromptu uh, adapting to the environment. One of the things that, that is great about the American ambassadors, no matter where they are in the world, is they'll go out into the streets and do these meet and greets with people. I mean, just walk through the streets. It pissed off the French to no end because when I was in Paris, the American ambassador would go out into the banlieue, into these, you know, these disenfranchised communities and kind of you know, showing up the French for ignoring these communities. But it was this great type of ad <laughs> lib type of diplomacy, which people love. And I think that if the Chinese can kind of take a page from that and get a little bit more comfortable ad-libbing, um, it, will, it will serve them very, very well. I have very low expectations that that will happen anytime uh, before my four-year-old son attends university, but <laughs> <laughs> it would be something that they do very well. Hey, listen, very quickly before we leave, did it, did it come to you? I mean, here we are. I read this first in the FT. A central bank governor talking about China's shortcomings in Africa. Did it remind you at all of the former Nigerian central bank governor Sanusi Lumido's comments? Yes, it, it seemed to me that it that that was a, a conversation that was kicked off by Sanusi Lumido, um, and that has been running, you know, kind of like back and forth over the ether, you know, um, with all of these African leaders mentioning, you know, kind of airing some grievances and and reservations about the the relationship, and finally this is kind of answer coming uh, coming back, you know, kind of from across the, the ocean. So I don't know whether whether that might be only, you know, I might be imagining that little narrative, but. You know, kind of, it, it seemed to be a, a kind of a, a circle that was closed in a way that was kicked off by, but you know, kind of a, a, what what year and a half ago about you know yeah. from, from from yeah that was. So I recommend everybody to check that out. That was uh, Sanusi Lumido. He's now the former Nigerian Central Bank Governor. Uh, did you know he was booted out of office? I didn't realize that. Yes, I, that yes, was something like, I, I was a little after, bit surprised after to hear. That sterling career. Yes, yeah. after an amazing career, another, he, he's on. I think he's being it was suspended. Kind of Nigerian, but of but uh, yeah, in March two thousand management. Yeah. yeah, March two thousand thirteen, he wrote an editorial in the Financial Times, and it's interesting to compare Joe Shaochun's comments and also Sanusi Lumido. So I encourage everybody to kind of take a look at that. The takeaway from from all this is. 
is how the Chinese are adapting and, and being very, very flexible. And I think this is very interesting. Also, compare it to your own host country's foreign aid policies. Now, this is not to say that what the Chinese are doing is always right. And I know that sometimes Cobus and I, we do sound like we're cheerleading a little bit for the Chinese, which we're actually not at all. Um, I speak on your behalf there, Cobus, if I can. Yes, um, <laughs> but it is to say that one of the problems that I think we have in the West, uh, certainly in the United States, which I can speak more competently on, is that the, the industries and the special interests have become so deeply entrenched that the ability to adapt and to maneuver uh, is far more limited than it used to be. And, and I think what we're seeing from the Chinese is this adaptation, which I think is fascinating. And this is the trend that we should be looking for in the future, saying, will it trickle down from Li Keqiang and Zhou Xiaochuan? Will it actually come down into the kind of policy making kind of level and at the embassy level and then kind of filter its way out? So uh, that's it for this edition of the show. We, we're out of time today. But at the end of every show, one of the things we like to do is kind of drop you off at the front door of our various social media projects uh, so that you can continue. Continue the conversation. Kobus, if people want to follow you on Twitter, what's the best way they can find you? I'm actually more active on Twitter again. I've, I've had a, a Twitter dormancy while because of the of teaching loads and you know kind of in general craziness um, at work. But um, I'm back on Twitter full time and um, I'm at Stadenesque. That's S T A D N E S Q U E. And you can find me over on Twitter as well. I'm at E O Lander. That's E O L A N D E R. I'm tweeting the top China Africa headlines almost every day and more and more now. I'm actually. Uh, having great conversations with people on Twitter. So if you've got questions or if there's topics you want us to cut or, cut, uh, cover, Twitter is a great way to get a hold of us. Hey, by the way, um, uh, I, I tweeted uh, Howard French's new book, China's Second Continent, and he favored, he liked my tweet, so I DM'd him, but he didn't get back to me. Yeah. You know, I've had this ongoing thing with Howard French for the past year, <laughs> ever since he flamed me for criticizing him. Um, but truth is, Howard, if you're listening, um, I've been quite a fan, and Kobus can attest to that. I've been quite a yes. fan of yours for the past year. So um, if you'll humbly come on our show, we would love to have you talk about your new book to our to our listeners. Uh, very quickly before we go as well, 181 1,000 people now following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. We'd love to have you join the conversation as well. Kobus and I are updating that page almost 18 hours a day from both Asia and Africa, uh, and it's just a great, fantastic resource. And if you want to follow the podcast, best way to do it, just go over to iTunes and search for China Africa Project. So we'll be back soon with another edition. Until then, thank you so much for listening. <laughs>